You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. God, we thank you so much for, again, the things that you're doing in our life. I thank you for uh, just this season of Thanksgiving uh, this past week where we've had opportunities to pause and to reflect about uh, just your goodness to us and the things that you continue to do for us. God, we're just so grateful and thankful for um, your many promises and the ways that you fulfill those promises to us. I thank you for your word um, and just the opportunity that we have now to to feast upon it as we reflect upon things that you've been teaching us and uh, ways that you've been challenging us to apply that teaching. God, I pray that we would be faithful to to contemplate and to meditate those points this morning. Um, God, that this would be a a, a real active way for us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word as well. And uh, so, God, I pray that we would be faithful and committed to applying uh, your word to our life. pray that you would give us wisdom as we talk and reflect now. Um, God, that you would uh, just open our hearts and minds to what you would desire for us to receive this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, um, just to recap a little bit uh, from our last application Sunday, which was back at the beginning of October, um, I'd given you three specific application points for you to do. So really took them from being kind of ambiguous things that you could take and try to figure out how to do and just really gave you three practical things to do. One was to spend time talking with your accountability group about the major idol threats in your life. So we had talked about idolatry in the book of Revelation and the threat that it posed to believers and continues to pose to believers um, and will continue to pose to believers as we get closer and closer to Jesus coming back. And so talk to you about the application point of talking to your accountability group and admitting here's the, the things that are prone to tempt me in the area of idolatry. Um, just kind of exposing yourself to your accountability group, uh, letting them know ways to specifically pray for you. And so encourage you to do that if you haven't done that um, with your accountability group. We also talked about the aspect of Bible study, that a lot of times we, we hide behind the veil of, man, I would study my Bible more, but I don't really know how to do it. And so we kind of go through life uh, expecting or waiting on somebody to show us or to teach us and then potentially blaming others because they never have done that for us. And so the challenge last, last time when we met for Application Sunday was try to study the Bible this week and get as far as you can in that process. And wherever you can't go any further, make a note of that and then contact an elder and say, hey, I did what you asked me to do. Here's as far as I got. Can you help me? Right? So instead of just kind of hiding back and saying, I don't study my Bible because I don't know how to do it, really taking a step forward and saying, okay, I'm going to give my elders insight into knowing even where to start with me. And so I challenged you. I said, you may get to the point where you wake up and you don't know where to go from there. You don't know where to even turn to start studying your Bible. Or you may wake up, you may start to study the Bible, but you don't understand what you're reading. Like you just don't get it. Um, or you may get up, read, and study for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, but you don't know what to do with it after that. Um, and so I challenge you to do that, to, to really sit down and attempt to study the Bible on your own and get as far as you could in that process and then let us know um, where, where you got hung up. And so I'm trusting that everybody did that and nobody got hung up because we weren't contacted by anybody, to my knowledge. And so um, you know that, that offer still stands, that if you you're not really actively studying God's Word, if that's not a regular discipline in your life, to, to step out and to do that, to, to attempt to do that, and to then let us know where you need help. And we would love to come alongside of you in that process. And then the third thing 
involved evangelism to identify one person in your life that you want to target with the gospel, someone that you uh, really don't want to stop until they, they become a Christian, like you want to invest all in on seeing them come to Christ. And so those were three major application points. Tell your accountability group what your idols are. Try to study the Bible on your own and let us know if you are unable to do so. And then identify one person in your life um, that you can uh, really target with the gospel. I'm going to do the same thing again today. Um, give you a, a couple of tangible things to do in light of all the application points that we've seen from our sermons most recently. So I'm going to walk back through those and then we'll allow all that to culminate with some things that you can do uh, personally. All right, so let's reflect back a little bit over where we've been the past uh, month and a half. We we jumped back into Revelation for one week. We wrapped up the trumpets, and then over the past several weeks, um, after Chris and Melissa came back and presented with Uganda, we've been talking about the topic of weariness in the Christian life, um, growing weary in doing well, and uh, the temptation to grow weary and to potentially stop in your pursuit of Christ or stop in some of the things that you've been doing um, that were, were part of the, the good Christian life. And so kind of recapping back through that, um, we started by talking about growing weary while working and waiting. As we press on to do good while waiting for Jesus to return, we must anticipate the possibilities of weariness and make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs. Uh, we used Galatians chapter 6 as our starting point for that discussion. Um, and really all this flowed out of me sharing with you that your elders are weary right now, that we're weary in doing good and that, and that we're discouraged in some aspects of our ministry. And so wanting to share with you how we're trying to attack that in our own life. And so Galatians chapter 6 is where we went for that week. Um, and so I just want to read for us again. Um, verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we talked about just the principle of sowing and reaping, that, that we continue to sow, with the anticipation of reaping, the promise is given to us here in Scripture. I think part of the reason that, that God designed our world to function the way that it did, it was to give us a tangible example uh, physically as we, as we watch the farmer, the gardener, uh, work to produce fruit, to produce vegetables, that we see the principle there of sowing and reaping, and that gives us something to, to tie into our own spiritual life, that as we continue to sow to the Spirit, we will reap we will reap those things if we don't give up. And so the encouragement there is to not grow weary of doing good. And so that's why within our summary sentence, we talked about there is a temptation or the, uh, the possibility of growing weary. If Paul has to address the fact that we should not grow weary, he's at least anticipating there's the possibility that we will, right? That it's not impossible for a Christian to grow weary in doing good. So we anticipate the possibility of it, and then we make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs. We talked about what are the good things that, that a potential Christian might grow weary in doing good in. Um, and so we went back and kind of walked through uh, some of the New Testament passages that described what the early church was doing, the good things that the early church was doing. They were intentionally gathering together. They were sacrificially giving. They were progressively serving. They were strategic in their welcoming. 
right? That they were adding to their numbers. They were giving their money away. They were progressing in their serving. Remember, Revelation talks about that their, their, uh, their later works exceeded their previous works, that they were growing in their ministries. They were growing in their service. They were intentionally gathering together. And I shared with you guys that it seems like we are growing weary in those things as a church because our attendance has been decreasing, our giving has been decreasing. We've been talking about having to cut out service opportunities because we can't get people to participate. We talked about visitors who come and don't come back because we're not perceived as, as being very good at welcoming people, right? And so it seems like we're not doing well in those things. Um, and from an elder standpoint, man, we're growing weary in the efforts that we're putting forth to sow into these things because it doesn't seem like we're reaping in those things. It seems like we're going in the opposite direction, right? So we talked about from an application standpoint, what do you do with that? One, we identify the factors. What, what are the factors that are causing you to grow weary? As elders, that's what we shared with you. Man, we are growing weary because it feels like our attendance is decreasing, our giving is decreasing, our, our zeal for serving is decreasing, um, our ability to welcome people and, and retain people decreasing. Right? Those things are causing us to grow weary. So we talked about identifying the factors. What is it that's causing you to grow weary in doing well? And then seek to make changes. Seek to make changes to avoid growing weary. And so part of the things that we've done as elders, we've shared that with you now openly. Right? Like we've, we've come forward and said, hey, we want to see these things change. That if, if these go unchecked, I think we're going to continue to grow weary. And so we've kind of put that out there as a desire to see changes made. Um, and then what I love about this passage is that the, the encouragement that Paul gives is not to take a break, to not do something different, but instead to really seek to do good in the midst of fighting against growing weary, right? It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith, right? Like he encourages, like, keep on doing good. Don't take a break. Don't take a... Uh, uh, a relief from doing good, keep striving to do good, all right? So growing weary while working and waiting, identifying the factors, making changes, and attacking the weariness by doing good. The next week, we talked about standing firm instead of growing weary, and we said specifically that my time in the Word, my time in prayer, and my time with others will determine whether I stand firm or grow weary in my personal life. We went to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3, and reflected upon Paul's teaching there. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It comes from, uh, the teaching for that week came from verse 13 of chapter 3, where it says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And so we kind of unpacked that. Why is Paul talking about that? What does he mean by that? And what are some of the implications of the verses surrounding it? So in context, we saw back in chapter 2, verse 13, that Paul really talks about the progress of the church being tied to their obedience to God's word, right? That we, we seek to immerse ourselves in God's word, we obey what God's word has to say, uh, and then we tie that in with prayer, right? Paul talks about praying for the church to not grow weary and praying for them to progress in their faith. And then Paul also asks for prayer. He says, pray for us um, in verse... 1 of chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Right? So Paul says, I'm praying for you, but I'm also asking that you would pray for me, that we would not grow weary in our efforts to do good. 
So we talked about the importance of obeying the word, uh, being prayerful about not growing weary and well-doing. But then really, uh, the, the important factor, I think, that we find in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Man, Paul talks about the, the, the temptation to grow weary being tied to who we spend time with. That if we are spending time influential type time with people who are not serious about following Christ and being obedient to his word, the temptation is for us to grow weary in our well-doing, right? Like he tells us to, to get away from these people that aren't listening to this letter and doing what this letter says. He says, don't grow weary in doing good because of these people, because of what they're choosing to do. He says, remove them, get away from them. Don't let them have an influential role in your life. Now, he doesn't tell them to treat them like an enemy, right? Like, don't completely abandon them, right? He says, warn him as a brother. So really, the idea there is that, okay, I can't spend time with you. I can't spend downtime with you. I can't enjoy time with you because of the choices that you're making. If I spend time with you, it's going to be about correcting you and trying to draw you out of your sin and trying to draw you back to obedience. So I'll spend time with you, but just not influential time. I'm not going to let you influence me and cause me to grow weary in doing good. All right, so the application that we talked about was being obedient to the word, being in the word, immersing yourself in the word. We fight weariness by being in God's word. And if we don't know how to be in God's word, we've tried to equip you to, to know how to do that, right? Start the process and then let us know where you can't go any further. Because we believe every single person in this church needs to be immersed in God's word, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, applying it to their life. Number two, ask for help. As you see yourself growing weary, as you see yourself getting discouraged, as you see yourself questioning, do I really want to continue doing some of the things that I'm doing? You ask for help. You personally are praying against weariness. You're asking others to pray for you in your weariness, right? You're, you're calling out to your accountability group and asking for help to, to pray against weariness, to battle against weariness. Number three, you find encouragement from others. You put yourself around the type of people that are going to encourage you. I mean, the worst thing that you can do if you're discouraged in your Christian faith is to remove yourself from Christian fellowship and to put yourself around people who aren't believers or who at, at best are believers but aren't living like they should be living. Man, that, that's a recipe for you to continue to fall into a deeper state of weariness. All right? Paul says, remove yourself from those people. They're going to cause you to grow weary. All right? The next week we talked about my labor will not be in vain. <clears throat> that at times our Christian labor may feel in vain, so we may feel like we're sowing, we may feel like we're, we're not reaping, that, we're, that we're, we're putting all this effort into it, we're not getting anything in return. But the assurance of the resurrection should motivate us to press on in obedience, knowing that rest and validation will come. We went to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 
or chapter 15, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56. We really looked at the entire chapter uh, that week, but I really wanted to kind of go back and just hit the last couple of verses. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this whole chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus, right? Therefore, verse 58, and we watched the video last week from John Piper and his Look at the Book series that really breaks down this passage. Um, that therefore, as I shared with you the week before, that therefore is tied to the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus has defeated sin and death, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right, That we don't have to grow weary in our well-doing. We don't have to grow weary thinking that our labor isn't going to produce. We have assurance that it will. We have assurance because of the resurrection that God has a plan and that God is moving us to that plan. Right? Don't grow weary in your well-doing. Don't think that your labor is in vain because of the resurrection. All right? Um, <clears throat> we talked about our Christian labor being um, our effort to see other individuals come to glory in the joy of knowing Christ. We talked about sin posing a threat to our labor, but the resurrection uh, guarantees our labor. All right? And so I went back from an application standpoint and kind of went back through those things that we have been talking about causing us to grow weary. The fact that, you know, we want you to meet regularly as a church, to give your money away, to serve in this church, to welcome visitors. And I wanted you to see, and so I'm going to show you the application again. That week, I really wanted you to see why we desire those things, right? Like we desire those things not like you typically hear a pastor say those things, right? Like I don't want there to be a large attendance on Sunday morning so that I feel like I'm a good preacher, I don't want you to give money to this church to pay me a salary or to allow us to do certain things, right? The reasons that we talk about those five, those five things as being, or those four things as being kind of a, an indicator of our church's health is because those things are for your good, right? We want you to meet regularly as a church to fight sin and false teaching, to give your money away to keep your heart set on eternal things, to serve with others in this church, to use your life for him, to, to pursue sanctification by using your body that, that was once used for sinful purposes, now for righteous purposes. To welcome visitors, because we talked about part of the reason that Christians are called to hospitality, it's the command in the Old Testament. Remember God tells Israel to be welcoming to those who are strangers to your land because you were once strangers in Egypt and Egyptians mistreated you, don't be guilty of the sin of the Egyptians. So he says, as people come to visit the promised land, you be hospitable towards them. Then in the New Testament, we're told to be hospitable because we were once strangers and aliens to God's people. Talking to the Gentiles, right? That we have a responsibility to be hospitable because we were once not a part of this. And so the New Testament teaching is, when you see somebody come in and visit your fellowship, man, you should bend over backwards to be hospitable to them. If for no other reason, because it ought to remind you that I used to not be a part of this. Like by God's grace and God's grace alone, he saved me out of my sin and welcomed me into his universal church that's representative in this local church. That's why we welcome visitors, not because we need their money, right? Like most churches are built on 
We need visitors to come and join so that our budget can increase. Man, I want you guys to be welcoming to visitors because I want it to have a spiritual impact in your life. I want it to be a constant reminder you actively welcome visitors because you're constantly grateful for the gospel that God welcomed you when you were his enemy, right? So from an application standpoint, man, prioritize your schedule to meet with us regularly because you need to be here to fight sin and false teaching that's gonna spring up in your life. Come and give your money away to keep your heart set on eternal things. Come and serve with us when we make service opportunities available so that you can use your life for righteous purposes now. Come and welcome visitors to remind yourself that you too were once a stranger. We wrapped our series up last week talking about obedience to spiritual leadership being good for all. And I took you to Hebrews chapter 13. And again, this ties in with us confessing as elders. And we're growing weary because we feel like you guys aren't responding to some of the things that we've asked Right? That, that, that the idea of meeting regularly, giving your money away, serving faithfully, welcoming visitors, that we're decreasing in some of those things. And so obedience to your leaders is so important because in Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. You skip down to um, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We said obedience to spiritual leadership within the church helps ensure the perseverance of each believer, and it increases the joy of those who will one day give an account for their labors. So there's this relationship that's happening within this church, right? You've been saved, and the New Testament says God desires for you to make it to the end, to to be there on that day when Jesus comes back that you persevere, that you endure, that you, you hold fast to your hope. There's gonna be sin that comes its way, that comes your way that would seek to deter you from that path. There's gonna be false teachers that come your way that would seek to deter you from that path. God gives spiritual church leadership to help make sure that those things don't happen, right? He says specifically to do or to interact with your leaders in such a way for your perseverance. Because remember, we said the whole book of Hebrews is about perseverance. It's about endurance. It's about believers making it to the end. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Why is spiritual leadership good for you? It's good for you because it teaches you, right? Like it says, remember your leaders, They speak to you the word of God. That's one of the benefits of church leadership is that we said there's a designated person on Sunday morning to teach God's word to you. Remember we said the example, sometimes we're a part of Bible studies where it's just kind of left up to, hey, we'll just get together and if anybody has anything to share about their personal time in God's word, then let's do that. And you you might show up some weeks and nobody really has anything, right? You don't ever have to worry about coming here on a Sunday and wondering, is there gonna be anybody there to teach today? There always will be somebody here to teach, right? There will always be a church leader here to teach you because that's one of the things that we're supposed to do. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So not only do spiritual leaders give you teaching, but they give you examples to follow. They give you examples to follow. 
right? They, they model, they're, they're supposed to model to you what it looks like to walk through certain aspects of life. I mean, that's why we took a break from Revelation and I shared with you what our family, how our family was dealing with our miscarriage. Because there's going to be miscarriages that happen in this church. And I want to be an example to you how we, as, as a church leadership family, walked through that in our life. I shared with you an example last week. I prayed a specific prayer to God, asking him, begging him to answer something specifically for me. And he chose not to. And I don't know why. It was one of those prayers where it's like, I can't think of any reason for you not to answer this. Like it wasn't one of those, give me something and maybe you, maybe you know something better for me than, than what I know. Like, the, like there was really no reason in my mind. I, I couldn't think of any reason why this would be a selfish prayer or why this would be an inappropriate prayer. I fully expected God to answer it and he chose not to. And I've been dealing with that all week long this week. Just wrestling through that and trying to figure out How is God still good even though he chose not to answer the prayer the way that I desired for him to pray? I want to be an example to you. I want to model these type of things to you. That's what we're supposed to do as church leaders. To help you persevere, we model these things for you, right? And then the other added benefit to church leadership that we talked about last week is that we play this important role in your life of keeping watch over your souls as though we will have to give an account for you and not just ourselves, Right? So at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, we wake up as leaders not only concerned about our own perseverance, but concerned about your perseverance. Like Not so much how can we make it to the end, but how can we make it to the end with you guys standing there with us? Remember Paul talks in Philippians, he says, man, I want your sanctification so bad because at that day I want to know that I did not run in vain or labor in vain that you're standing there with me when Jesus comes back. So as church leadership, we labor hard to try to figure out how do we construct an environment here at Sovereign Hope that guarantees you have every opportunity to persevere. Right? We can't make you do some of these things. We can't make you persevere, but we can certainly strive very hard to make sure there's an environment here where you can be taken care of and loved for and cared for if you choose to immerse yourself in our culture here at Sovereign Hope. It's our job as elders to make sure that culture exists that that system is set up. That's why we've got accountability groups and C groups, and and it's why we do all the things that we do because we believe it's the best way possible to take care of you. So what's your role in that, right? The author of Hebrews says, if you'll do the things that your leadership asks for, it gives your leaders joy to keep on doing it, right? How do you inspire your elders to keep teaching and to keep serving as an example and to keep wanting to keep watch over your souls? And you respond to those efforts and it gives them joy, right? It says, do this, do this so that it gives them joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. The author of Hebrews says, if you don't do this in such a way where it's joyful for your leadership, you're gonna see some of those advantages decrease. You're not gonna get the best teaching potential. You're not gonna get the best example possible. You're not gonna get the, the greatest care for your soul because there may be some weariness that starts to set in. And so the author of Hebrews says, man, make this relationship great. Elders, do what you're supposed to do. Church members, do what you're supposed to do so that this relationship works and you all persevere to the end. All right, from an application standpoint, I encourage you guys to trust our motives as leaders you ought to be able to based on these passages because you're being called to submit and to, to obey. I also told you, though, to be cautious 
because our motives may not always be right, right? First Peter 5 cautions us against that, that elders may go rogue in their motives. And I told you that you should constantly be evaluating us to make sure that we do have your best interest at heart. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And Peter says, don't be the type of leader that starts to do it for financial gain. Don't be the type of leader that does it in a domineering way. If we ever get to that point as elders, you ought to talk about removing us, right? You ought to talk about removing us because there's guidelines in scripture about removing an elder. When two or three of you pick up on it and start to realize it, we need to step back and, and really, really pray through whether or not that person should be an elder of our church, right? Imitate the example of your leaders, but be cautious because we could go rogue in our behavior as well. First Timothy chapter five, verse 19. Here's how you go about removing an elder. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. I told you in our How We Function documents, we have, we have documentation for how to remove an elder from our church. If we go rogue, if we stop being what we're supposed to be, then we need to be removed. Obey the instructions of your leaders, but be cautious because we could go rogue in our, in, in our teaching too, right? Acts 20 talks about wolves springing up and, and uh, it's said they're gonna come from amongst you, church leaders, right? Like not always outside, but sometimes inside the church. Elders may go rogue in their teaching. So man, I wanna tell you that you can confidently trust us, imitate us, and obey us, but always do it with a cautious eye to make sure that we don't deviate from what God's called us to be because we're not perfect right? Those were some of the, the application that we talked about over the past month. I want to give you some specific things for you to do immediately though, right? So we talked about trusting us, imitating us, obeying us, but man, you could wait till next year to do some of that, right? Like, like that's not specific enough. We talked about meeting regularly, giving your money away, serving with others, welcoming visitors, but again, it's kind of ambiguous as to when do I start doing those things. Obeying the word, asking for help, finding encouragement from others. Again, when do I need to start doing those things? That's what I want to share with you on this last slide. Personal application from this past month. What, 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 can I do? what can I do right now? What can I do this week? First of all, if anybody in this room is starting to feel weary in their Christian life, if they're feeling weary in their doing good, discuss those weary feelings with your accountability group and spend time praying together. Man, just share that with your accountability group. Talk about the weariness that you feel in any aspect of your life. Share that, as Paul talks about, sharing that with someone and asking for help, asking for prayer in that area. Discuss weary feelings with your accountability group and spend time praying together over it. Number two, examine your budget and determine your giving habits for next year. Very soon we're gonna make those sheets again available to you where you're gonna share with us anonymously how much you plan to give next year based on your current uh, financial situation. Um, we don't, we don't need your money. We desire for you to give your money away so that you keep your heart tied to, e to eternal things and not temporary things, right? So the reason that we even ask to collect money, like we could just cut it off and say, hey, we need a place to, to meet on Sundays. So if we could just all pull our money together to cover those expenses and then everybody else just keep your money and do whatever you want to with it, we could easily do that. But we want you to give. And the way we've built our budget, again, the more you give, the more we 
automatically give away. So, so the way our budget is built, we don't give $3,000 to our missionaries. And then if we have a really good year, we have this surplus of money just sitting in the bank account, right? We give a, a percentage of our giving to our missionaries. So the more you give, the more money we actually give away. We've done that so that you can feel confident that you can always be giving to this church and knowing that that money is constantly being used for the purposes that you think it should be used for, right? I want you to examine your budget and determine your giving habits for next year. And also put a note, do you need to catch up on your committed giving for this year? Like some of you may have just forgotten to give or it may have been for sinful reasons that you haven't given this year. Some of you may have had financial changes that we're just not aware of and it stunted your, your ability to give. But I even did this recently because sometimes I, I forget because I'm, I'm, I'm giving monthly to our church and so sometimes I forget what month it is and I forget whether I've given or not given. And so periodically I go back and check my bank account and make sure that I've given the money that I committed to give. And I did that recently. You may need to do that too. Not because we need your money, not so we can give books away at the Christmas party, right? But because you may have hung on to money that you committed to give much like Ananias and Sapphira did, right? Like they, like they were deceptive in what they said they were giving and they kept money back. Yours may be unintentional. Man, I would encourage you just to sit down and say, okay, where am I at financially? What did I commit to give? Have I actually given that this year? Can I, can I still do that right now? And what do I anticipate giving next year? Right? Like I shared with you, like we want to be able to give Chris and Melissa both clear indications of where we're at financially as they continue to labor in Uganda. I don't want there to be any questions on their part as to what our financial situation is like. The best way for us to give them accurate information is for us to get accurate information from you. For me to be able to tell Chris or Melissa, hey, we're going to have this kind of money available, and it's contingent on you guys committing to give and then honoring those commitments. Number three, look around. Is there anyone in our building today that you don't know? Because we've got people here that are not members of our church today. If you look around and you're like, I don't know that person's name over there. You need to fix that today. Right? We're talking about welcoming visitors, being hospitable. Man, if you look around and you say, there's some people here, I don't know their name. Some people have been visiting our church for a while, and you may look around and say, I still don't know that person's name. Right? Fix that today. That's, that's an immediate application. Right? Immediate things that we can do this week. Talk to your accountability group about your weariness. Ask for prayer about it. Sit down and examine your budget this week. What does my giving look like? Where do I need to catch up? And where can I continue to give moving forward? And then before you leave today, meet somebody that's in here that you don't know their name, if there's anybody in here that you don't know. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we close today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, as we always do on our application Sundays. We do this because I believe that the purpose of the Lord's Supper ties in with what we're trying to accomplish on application Sundays. It's a, it's a public confession that we are still all in with Jesus. Application Sundays are a public opportunity for us to stop and pause and do things differently and say, we're not just here to hear a good sermon, we are here to do something with the teaching, right? And so we always partake of the Lord's Supper um, because we want it to be a, a way for us to apply and to demonstrate that we are still very serious about the things that God has called us to. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. 
For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So there was an issue in the, in the church at Corinth with how they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. They were being very selfish with the food. And it's, it's really why we even do the, the, the breakfast the way that we do, right? We, 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 we choose the small plates for a specific reason because we don't want the first people to go through and fill up their plates with all the good food and then somebody come behind and not be able to get anything. So just, just understand, we, we know we could buy bigger plates. We have bigger plates here. We use the smaller plates really as, as just a, an application of what we're reading about right here. We want you to be able to eat, but we want everybody to be able to eat here. We also do it in such a way where we want you to eat and not feel like this is a snack before lunch, right? Like this doesn't need to satisfy you physically by eating and drinking. We don't, we don't partake m- much of all uh, with the Lord's Supper, so it doesn't really fill you up anyways. But I remember as a little kid taking the Lord's Supper and being hungry and, 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 and like looking forward to going back there and eating and drinking and getting a little bit of something in me because I was ready to eat. And we want to remove all of that. We want this to be a spiritual experience and not a physical experience where you're, where you're hungry and you want to partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul says, man, this was going wrong in the, in the Corinthian church. They were, they were not understanding the purpose. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's what we're going to participate in this morning. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembering the gospel, the gospel that we've responded to. It's an opportunity for us to remember that it's Jesus's death and his life that ultimately saves us right? Jesus says that the bread represents my body, my, my perfect life, the, the life that I live for you, the righteousness that I give to you. The, the, the juice represents the blood that was shed for you. So not only have we been forgiven of our sins, we've been given righteousness. We've been given for perfection. And, and Jesus invites us to partake of this and to do so until he comes back. Because by doing so, we proclaim the gospel through this act. And so I'm going to give you some time to pray and to reflect personally, um, to confess any sins that you desire to confess, not because you need to have had a good week to partake of the Lord's Supper, um, but instead for you to make sure that by partaking of the Lord's Supper, you are genuinely being honest in saying that you choose Jesus over your sin, right? All of us had struggles this week. All of us gave in to sin this week. But if we're giving into patterns of sin where we're actually choosing sin over Jesus as more of a, a pattern in our life, and that needs to be confessed, that needs to be, that needs to be changed, or else we can't really partake of the Lord's Supper and be honest with it. So I'd encourage you to take that time to reflect and to pray and to confess where needed. Um, you're encouraged to partake if you're a believer this morning. Doesn't mean It doesn't matter if you're a member of our church or not. Um, believers are all invited to partake this morning, and so we encourage you to do so. We do it a little bit differently at our church. It's in the back. You're welcome to dismiss yourself. Over the next few minutes, Tyson's going to come and play some music. We're going to sing a couple songs to close out our time. At any moment when you want to, you're welcome to go back and to tear some of the bread, dip it in the cup, and partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for uh, just the things that you're teaching us. God, I pray that we'd be faithful to do something with that teaching. I pray that you would give us the desire and the discipline to apply the things that you're teaching us, God. 
Pray that you would continue to work and move within this church. Um, God, I thank you for each member. I thank you for each uh, work that you're doing. God, I pray that you would just continue to build upon that, Father, because we desire for each person in this room to persevere to the end. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to give us wisdom as leadership in knowing how to structure our church's environment and culture in the best way possible to ensure that every believer that joins our church has every opportunity to persevere. God, we thank you for the chance to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. We thank you that um, you give us this as a, as a means of uh, just being able to con- continuously publicly confess that, that we still love you and we still desire to serve you. And Father, we know that this has nothing to do with our salvation, that this act in no way saves us or guarantees our salvation. God, we're very thankful that the, the, the very meaning of this uh, reminds us of that, that it's your blood, that it's your life that ultimately saves us. It's our faith and trust in that. So God, I pray that as believers this morning, as we partake, that it would be an encouragement to us that we would be able to effectively proclaim your life and death by partaking this morning. God, I pray that it would increase our desire to see you come back because we will continue to partake of this until you return. We look forward to the day when we don't eat without you anymore, when we get to, to dine with you. I pray that you would encourage us this morning as we leave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.